from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. This is What Would Your Mother Say? Welcome to the show. I'm Susan Morris. Today, cures for the punctually challenged. Our guest, author and time management expert Diana Delonzo, has tips for us on how to never be late again. On the second half of the show, our panel will take a look at lies, big ones, bad ones, little white lies. Then a look at the hip new masterpieces showing up on people's butt, body art, the latest craze, here to stay or an embarrassment down the road. Joining me in the studio are our students, Jessica and Matt. Hi, Susan. Hi, Susan. Welcome. And also with us for the first time is Carolyn, a mother. Hi, Susan. It's good to have you here. Thank you. You can listen to the show live online at www.kzsu.stanford.edu, and also you can check out our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. First, let's take a look at the buzz on campus this week. Students are talking about the increase in, in assaults on campus. The Stanford officials have just released a report showing a rise in campus sexual assault and relationship violence. The university says that this jump in reported assaults does not necessarily mean that violent crime is increasing, just that victims are more willing to come forward and ask that their assailants be held accountable for their action. Jessica, you're a senior. Do you feel less safe since you've been here? No, I think this campus is really safe. I I mean, maybe there's some increase, but I don't know anyone personally that's been assaulted. I don't, I've never heard of any friend of a friend, like anyone in my social network at all. And I've large, I mean, a large network of acquaintances. No one's ever had that happen. Matt? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the farm. I mean, the most crime you get is occasionally tipping the non-existent cows. (laughs) Right. Or what you get, (laughs) or maybe what you get is some freshman girl who's never been exposed to alcohol before in her life goes to a party and does something she regrets later. But I've heard very few cases where it's actually sexual assault, where it's like a violent act that was completely on, you know, someone's just walking down the street and gets attacked. I, I do I do agree, though. I would say that with the university, at least, they probably are right in that there's been a lot done to kind of increase awareness of it. Um, and so I would assume that if the numbers have gone up, and I remember reading the article, it's not that much. It was like six or seven reported cases on campus. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, such a small base. You have to th- yeah. take that into account. I mean, people tend to get, I don't know, maybe I sound, maybe it sounds bad, but people tend to get very, like, riled up. Oh my God, it's a double, it's a doubling in the rate. Well, there were three before, and now there's six. So, oh, it's doubled, but it's still not that many. And, I mean, be truthful, there may be more, but, you know, it's, it's at least, I think it's a, I don't think it's a bad sign. It's a good sign that people are reporting it, which is, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. You realize that that colleges have a reputation across the country for not reporting such assaults and violent uh, relationships. Carolyn, have you, when you were in college, did you hear of anything happening on your college campus? Well, actually, I went to a college that's uh, completely the opposite of Stanford, tiny, tiny liberal arts college, 225 students total. So (laughs) nobody could get away with anything without everybody knowing. But I would say that um, six students versus three would be um, six students too many if it were my daughter going to, um, you know, going to the university. Well, did you guys have like the same sort of party scene that we have where someone will go to a party and not get in over their head and then... We had exactly the same party scene. The same thing. Yeah. There would be the same type of girls who would get drunk, pass out, and end up in someone's bed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that I mean, doesn't change. That hasn't changed at uh, all. No, some things have not changed, and they would be passing out, and some of them would get pregnant by the end of the school year, and back then you got married. Or you disappeared for a, a few days <laughs> to go have an abortion. I, I'll say this quickly um, because I'm from Los Angeles. Um, I know, like, being here at Stanford, we're very lucky because I know schools like, you know, no diss on the Trojans who I love, but yeah. not the neighborhood to be in. Also, Columbia, not the neighbor, neighborhood to be in. Granted, those two areas have improved over time, you know, one being New York and L.A., but, you know, there are some college campuses where definitely – you know, not only this, it's not just the students who pose a threat to each other, and it's that type of thing, which I think being on Stanford campus, we're, we're lucky, but that's not. I think you're, I, excuse me for interrupting, but I think you're living in a, in a slight dream world. I do not feel safe going from this radio station to my car at seven o'clock at night. And that's partly because it's, um, you know, badly lit. And I know that there were some incidences on campus last spring where people were mugged. I also know that the same kind of be, uh, things are happening in Palo Alto itself. So it's not just a university thing. But I, I don't feel 
particularly safe. And yet you're saying you do. Yeah, I feel really safe. I've been all over campus at all hours of day and night. I, I don't know if I told you guys in a previous show about getting mugged when I was in Oakland. And I mean, that was just clearly completely unsafe. I mean, the difference between those two, like Palo Alto is like... You can be misled, though. I was going to say, I think that that's the problem with college campuses. They can be very insular and... Um, People can get a false sense of security. Was your campus in a rural area too, or yeah, was it incredibly okay. rural? So we didn't have any outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, so was there any? So crime you only at all? had to worry about the fellow students. Yeah, there was. There's no possibility of really any predatory adults. Was it a, a religious college? No, it was um, a college of social freaks. <laughs> you went to Hampshire, didn't you? <laughs> no, but it was exactly like Hampshire. It was called Marlboro College. In oh, yeah. We, we would play, that is- it, collegiately, we played soccer with Hampshire. Oh, that so, was one of our few. So that's a co-ed college too, right? Yes, Marlboro. Okay, was. so did you have the same party scene? I mean, even though it was really small, where like girls would like... Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't even matter what size the No, I mean, you're, you're getting out of, you know, out of your parents' house for the first time and you go nuts and... Some people can do it, and some people... So things haven't really changed, <laughs> as much as some of us here would like to claim. No. Yeah, moms. <laughs> well, I, I, back I, in my day... Yeah, back in my day, well, we didn't talk about it so much. I mean, you didn't brag about it. I mean, you know, people didn't make fun of virgins. I no, the way yeah. they do no, now. No, no, and there was definitely more shame attached to it if you did do it. You yeah. did it, maybe, but you felt that... <laughs> badly about it afterwards. Well, so we just posted on Facebook. And, <laughs> That's the big I difference. Am a <laughs> I am a virgin. I am no longer a virgin. <laughs> Your status changes from like virgin to non-virgin on Facebook. You, I'm just making this up now. No. Yeah, yeah. You know the things but we could soon, get them to soon. believe, Matt? Like we could yeah. like, yeah, and then we post photos online. They'd be like, online? Really? <laughs> well, you even post your sexual fantasies on the clearly, Facebook. Clearly, clearly, yeah. Well, let's talk about this because personally, I think this is over the top, and no wonder the Muslims get upset with our society because it's so out there sexually. You know, oh, you feel- mean in terms of like our party scene? Versus well, your no, party I'm not talking about or- party scene. I'm talking about you know announcing on a public public you know on site that you're a virgin, or and then oops, I'm not a virgin anymore. I mean, these are I don't know people. There isn't like such an institutionalized way of doing that. I was kind of a joke. What I meant more was just that that people will post like. Sometimes very graphic things. This is something we covered in another show, though. But I, I think, um, yeah, I, I guess things, some things have changed, although the party scene has not. All right, here's a question. Uh, let's say that you were visiting a university to see whether you wanted to go there or not, and you heard the real facts as to how many assaults there had been, sexual assaults and robberies, et cetera. Would that impact whether you would go to the school? You know, I, I think for, as a as the student making the decision, it doesn't make that much difference unless you know, unless it's the kind of, unless it's in a bad area where you just know you're putting yourself in danger, like an increase of like three assaults to six assaults or whatever in a place like Stanford wouldn't bother me. But I did, I did visit Columbia when I was deciding on colleges and I did walk around the neighborhood. It's a really nice neighborhood. I think people have this misconception that it's a bad neighborhood. My, my parents are from New York and they continually insist it's still a bad neighborhood. It is not a bad neighborhood. <laughs> I, I was really careful. I walked around the area at twilight. Like I wanted to see where it wasn't like so dangerous, but it was like enough I could see what was going on. That was really important to me. And I didn't, like, I applied to USC, but then I didn't, like, finish, you know, fall, I didn't, like, consider going there. It was just kind of a safety. Like, I didn't, yeah, it, it meant a lot to me not to be in a really bad neighborhood. My but. daughter went to Barnard. and went, But stepping back a few years before that, my older daughter was going to visit um, a friend at Barnard. And I insisted that she take a cab and that yeah. she call as soon as she got into the dorm room because I was so worried about her going up into, the, See, it's into a, that neighborhood. It's a different world for guys because... I mean, I would I would assume that you know if I knew that there was a certain murder rate in a you know a given college area, then I would you know I would care. But I mean, sexual assaults for for guys, I mean, must be you know infinitesimally small. I mean, it happens, but I mean, as a guy, you don't need to worry about that type of thing. Yeah, but, I well, mean, mugging. So you, you can get mugged. I, yeah, when I, mean, I was mugged, mugged yeah. the guy I mean was mugged with a guy friend, and the guy friend was actually injured. He had his eye sh- his eye socket. Yeah, and it's, like, it's those types like, of things that keep me away from a school. Was. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a short break. Coming up in the next half hour, cures for the punctually challenged. Our guest, time management expert and author Diana DeLonzer, will have tips for us on how to stop being chronically late. We'll be right back. 
Live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? I'm Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. Joining me in the studio are Jessica and Matt. Hi, Hi, Susan. Nice to have you here. And on the other side of the table, on the mother's side, is Carol, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. You and I are going to take on the students. This (laughs) is a call-in show, so we want to hear from you on the conversation. Join the conversation. Give us a call. The number is 650-723-9010, or send us an email at whatwouldyourmothersay.kzsu.stanford.edu. You can always go to our website and send us an email, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. Some statistics show that between 15 to 20% of us have trouble getting to where we're going on time. If you're frequently late for work, appointments, or social engagements, you are probably a member of that club. Our guest today is author and time management expert Diana DeLonder. Her book, Never Be Late Again, looks at chronic lateness, its causes, and the psychological characteristics of late people versus the timely. Welcome, Diana, to What Would Your Mother Say? Thank you very much. We're glad to have you here. Thank you for coming down from San Francisco. Tell us, uh, you, your book, uh, Never Be Late Again, is wonderful. It's filled with wonderful stories, and I want you to tell us, remind, tell me again the story of arriving at a wedding late. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. How can I say this in a, in a short, quick manner? Um, I arrived about 20 minutes late to a very good friend's wedding, and as I, uh, as I got there, everyone was already seated. I started walking down the aisle, and uh, I couldn't find a seat. Uh, Just then, the orchestra struck up the wedding march, and the bride also started walking down the aisle. So I was kind of stuck in the middle of the aisle with nowhere to go, and she's waving at me, come on, get out of the way. (laughs) And I'm trying to get out of the way, but I have nowhere to go. So I kind of uh, ran or jogged up towards the priest and then make a quick left and had to climb over a barrier and get out of there. (laughs) Did the priest give you a blessing? (laughs) I wish. Yeah. Uh, He mistakes you for the bride. uh, It causes all these problems. It was only one in many, many embarrassing stories that I could relate going back to my chronic lateness or my previous chronic lateness, I should say. Well, why do people such as yourself and I think, unfortunately, myself have such trouble getting to someplace on time? Well, you know, I had a a study up at San Francisco State University um, studying late people because I had been chronically late all my life. And one of the things that was very interesting that we discovered is most of the common perceptions about lateness didn't hold true. For instance, late people, um, it's often thought that it's a passive-aggressive type of behavior, and we found that to be very rarely the case. There was a small subset of men, sorry guys, (laughs) that uh, did try to use chronic lateness as sort of this uh, power or um, status thing, but that was actually very rare. Uh, we found that uh, a couple things. Late people actually disliked being late. And in fact, in fact, it tended to affect their lives in a detrimental way as much as it did the, for those around them. They tended to be late for vacations they wanted to go on, um, job interviews. Um, and so they, they often found it, late people also found it very embarrassing to be late and often would just rather not come at all than show up late. What we found were a couple things. We found that late people tended to be uh, have problems with procrastination in general. They tended to, lateness tended to have been a lifelong problem. It tended to span many, many activities. So they would be just as likely to be late for a wedding as a funeral. And um, we also found that uh, there tended to be different categories of late people. We found that some people we termed deadliners, people who, uh, for whom there was sort of a thrill-seeking element. It was that kind of last-minute rush to the finish line. Can I make it? It was sort of an adrenaline rush. Um, there were other people that tended to uh, be easily distracted. And we found that men and women were late for different reasons. Oh, well, so, tell us what the difference are between the men and women being well, late. Well, we found that, as, as I mentioned Excuse before, me. there, there was that small <laughs> subsection of... Um, uh, men who tended to do it as a power thing. I'm too good to be kept waiting. People should wait for me. Well, kind of. It just, I think they felt important when everybody was sitting in a room and waiting for them to walk in. But as I said, that was, that was kind of rare. We did find that with women, there was uh, more of an anxiety component. For instance, when a woman is getting ready to go to a party and she's trying on three, four or five different outfits, it's typically, uh, 
kind of an anxiety mechanism. If I can be perfect, uh, I won't feel anxious. So women often engaged in perfectionism, wanting the apartment to be perfectly clean before they left to go somewhere. Um, men didn't necessarily fall into that category, um, where men often tended to get uh, distracted. They often got pulled away from the task that they were doing and got distracted into other things, and we called that the absent-minded professor syndrome. Well, how can what, can you give us some tips on how to break this? By the way, I have to tell you, Diana, that after reading your book, I thought, well, I'm occasionally late. I realized that I am more than occasionally late. I was very <laughs> surprised when I started really evaluating different situations of keeping people waiting 10 minutes or, you know, getting lost or whatever. But how do, how do you recommend a person break this habit? Well, one of the things I think is important to understand for late people is that most late people think it's no big deal, that it's, uh, you know, five or 10 minutes is, is just not a problem. But in reality, especially in the working world, it really is. And often it's much, it's much more of a perception problem than it is a, a real problem in terms of what's the difference if you're five minutes late for work. But the problem is when you're five minutes late, I interviewed a lot of executives, and they said it looks like you're a slacker. It looks like you don't care. And to the world, you would think, what's five minutes? But I found that in reality, in the working world, it was a huge problem that executives um, uh, were less likely to promote less people, uh, late people, and, and they generally had an overall poor view of people that were late. Um, the next thing I think is important to do is what I call relearn to tell time. And as humans, we often remember what I call the best-case scenario, that magical day 10 years ago when you actually got ready in 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, that becomes your standard. So what I tell people is write down all the things you do on a regular basis and write across from that how long you think it takes you to do. So, for instance, walking to the library, walking to class, getting ready for class, uh, getting ready for work. And what you'll find, uh, track that for a week and find out how long it really takes you, and you'll find that, most people uh, underestimate by about 25 to 30 percent how long things take them to do. So jot down the new time frames, stick them on your uh, computer or on the mirror uh, in your bathroom, and that will help reframe that. The other thing I say to late people is that um, never plan to be on time. You see, late people tend to try to be exactly on time. So if you have to be at school at 9, you plan on getting there at 9 or 8.59 precisely. But the world doesn't work that way. And you'll see that timely people, and we found this when we studied different habits, is that timely people planned on getting there 15 minutes ahead. And in reality, when you get there, 50, when you plan on getting there 15 minutes ahead, you tend to get there right on time. So what I say is never plan to be on time. So those are just a couple tips I can give you off the top of my head. That's fantastic, Carolyn. Well, I have to say I'm I am chronically late, and I do have an optimistic uh, relationship to time. <laughs> <laughs> I also was just recently late for a very good friend's wedding. Missed the whole ceremony entirely. <laughs> it was really awful. I mean, it was awful. I didn't to say I wasn't going to go, but uh, it was really difficult. Um, so, yeah, I, but I have to say I live by the sword. I die by the sword. I'm not, I don't mind if anyone keeps me waiting. I really don't. And I stay late if I come late to work. So <laughs> this is a call-in show, so we want to hear from you. Join the conversation. Give us a call. The number is 650-723-9010 or send us an email at whatwouldyourmothersay.kzsu.stanford.edu. So what do you do about friends who are late, seriously late, all the time? Well, you have to understand, the first thing I tell people, if you have a friend or a spouse or, or boyfriend, girlfriend who's always late, is don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's not that they don't value your time. It, it really has nothing to do with you. So I think that's the most important you thing. mean they're like sick? Well, <laughs> Chartiness <laughs> Anonymous <laughs> is like the Chartiness. next group. <laughs> well, you know, strangely enough, Late people have often been fired from jobs. I mean, they've had some really bad impacts in their lives, and yet they can't stop doing it. So even though I wouldn't call it a sickness, it's like anything else. Uh, you know, you can tell a dieter, telling a late person to just stop uh, being late, it's like telling a dieter, just don't eat so much. I, I wish it were that easy. So if you do have a late friend, um, don't take it personally. Uh, set some standards. So for instance, agree, if you're going to meet for dinner, 
agree that if they're 15 minutes late, they have to spring for dinner or they have to bring spring for dessert. So make make them have some consequences. That's a good one. That yeah. will actually, yeah. then you'll feel good too. You'll be like, all right, I got free all dinner. All the suggestions I've read would say, well, if they come late, we'll then leave. Well, then you've wasted yeah. all your time. So I really, that's you're a, out. That's you know, you one. want to go to dinner too. So yeah. it's, it's sometimes that type of advice ends up impacting you just as much as it impacts, as, impacts the other person. Well, we have a call from Lisa. Hi, Lisa. My question for the author is, um, I am. I tend to be on time usually, but there is this one meeting, which is a revolving meeting every week in my company that I have to go to on Thursday mornings at 9 o'clock, and I cannot be on time for that particular meeting. Um, I think I'm. it's probably because I just dislike it so much, but I wanted to hear whether Diane had any advice for me. Uh, yes, I do, actually. Thank you for calling, but... Um, I think if there's a meeting that you that you believe that you dislike, one of the the things that might help you get to the meeting is if you find a reason to like it. And what I tell people is, um, go early and bring something that will be fun to do. So in other words, if you go and you're, you, you walk into an empty conference room and you have nothing to do, you're going to kind of sit there and think, wow, that was a waste of time. Why did I come early? So bring something that you enjoy doing. Um, bring some language tapes. Listen to language tapes. Um, bring a journal. Write in your journal. Bring some pamphlets to, to look at for your next vacation. So what I always tell people is, you know, being on time it's going to be tough unless you make it a pleasurable experience. If you get somewhere and you just have to sit around, that's not reinforcing your new habit. So bring something that's going to, to help you reinforce a habit. Bring something to read, something to do while you're waiting. Uh, I would say you know, a big thing also from my perspective is I'm, I used to be late all the time. I still am late fairly often. But the one thing I've kind of forced myself to begin doing is dealing with the fact that I am late, which is what I think a lot of late people don't do. A lot of late people will be like, I'm going to be late. I'm going to shut up and be quiet, and I'm going to show up when I show up. And you should be able to call 15 minutes in advance and say, I'm going to be 20 minutes late. And that does so much, like I think, to make the situation better and to really, you know, to take pressure off of you, and then you have a set timeline. That, that gives you an excuse. Well, it gives you an excuse, but the people know when to expect you too. That's another thing. People. Yeah, that's hate a it. question for you. Like, do you, do people? Because I've had people tell me, well, if you just called me, then it would have been okay. But is that really true? Or like. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I actually, the New York Times just uh, had done a piece on my book recently, and they talked about the advent of cell phones. Has that made it better or worse? And from my perspective, it's a double-edged sword because it does give some relief to the person waiting. They at least know that you are two minutes away or three minutes away or something like that. So that does help to some extent. But it also kind of gives a little bit of an out to the person that's being late because they, they, they figure, oh, I can just call them while I'm on the road, and then they won't be as angry. So I, I, my answer to that is it's really kind of a double-edged storm. I guess it depends on the event, too, because you can't right. call in the middle of the wedding and be like, oh, I'm just a little <laughs> late. <laughs> can you, you hold things for me? <laughs> right. And how often you abuse it, I suppose. I mean, if you're calling all the time and using it as a crutch, if that really becomes... Right, and I, I think that happens a lot. Sure. I think that it, it's, it has become sort of a double-edged sword. But I think for the most part, it's it's better than it better than nothing because at least that person knows you're on your way. I've called people that I was going to be interviewing and said I'm going to be five minutes late and like I'm four minutes late and they have taken off. So I am then kept waiting for up to 30 minutes once. Oh, well, that's, that's And crazy. I was very sorry that I had called because I sort of gave that person an excuse to start something else. I mean, it wasn't their fault, but oh. I was left waiting. Yeah, but it, it is your responsibility, I think, when you're late to call. And, you know, another thing is, yeah, if you're consistently abusing it, then the person, when you call them, I mean, you can tell from your call log or how often it happens. If you force yourself to punish yourself in some regards by directly telling the person you're going to be late, then uh, next time you'll be like, I'm not going to call. Like over the summer, I used to have to call my boss to tell him when I, he was gonna, when I was going to be late, and it you know kept me from doing it all the time because it's embarrassing to call someone up at 8.50 and be like, I'm going to be 20 minutes late to work today. On the other hand, I had employees for myself you know, who were working underneath me, and I hated it when they didn't tell me because I would sit there and waiting to do a sales meeting in the morning, and it would be 9.10. I didn't know where these people were. And so it's one of these things that you better call me if you're going to be late. Well, that relates back to what you say about uh, Diana about uh, the the perception that people just don't care. Then at least they are showing a courtesy that they are concerned that they're late and that they are affecting you. Right? It's 
I have a question for you about a different aspect of this. I'm wondering about the rebel type that you had in your book. Like, that's something I've never heard before about as a reason why people are late. Can you... Well, that's what you can also call that a passive aggressive type of thing. Um, somebody who, uh, either wants to keep people waiting because they want a little bit of a power trip or they're angry at somebody and they want to have control over that person. But you know, as I said, that was just so rare. And, and all the interviews we did, and I, and I conducted, um, the study was with 225 people, but then I went on to conduct more extensive interviews with hundreds of people. And of all the people that I interviewed, honestly, there were probably three people that fell into that category who said it, w- it was kind of a power trip to keep people waiting. But as far as the ones that wanted, that did it to feel unique or something, that was what I found kind of interesting because to be late, to be unique, to be late so that you're not stuck in the same whole grind as everyone else. And I thought that was really sort of an interesting motivation people had. Well, I, I, yes, and there were especially people who were more the creative types, artists, um, actors, people like that, often felt that if they kind of marched down the sidewalk with all the other commuter drones, they just really didn't feel special. And so they tended to come flying in dramatically. But even those types hated being late. You know, in fact, um, when I think it was when Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman were filming, was it the Sundance, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they used to place bets on how often Robert Redford would be late. And he, they would see him come, they, I guess they were filming out in the country, and they would see him come driving down these country roads, squealing and, and, and tearing their way to get there. So they often had bets on, on him. Um, but you do see a lot of uh, creative type people that are chronically late, like Cher, um, I believe is chronically late, um, Farrah Fawcett, Bill Clinton, um, a number of oh, other Clinton famous. is chronically late. Oh, How do you gosh, know? Yes. Like, oh, well, he's famous, do you hear famous for it. He is yes. absolutely famous for it. Yeah. Well, we have one email from Adan, quote, I think people who get upset about lateness are just uptight. My friends understand who I am, and if they don't like it when I'm sometimes late, I probably don't want to keep them as my friends. It never bugs me when they run behind. Aside from work or class stuff, what's the big deal about being late? Well, what you have to understand is, wouldn't we all like to just say none of our bad habits, everybody should just bear with it. You know, if we want to smoke, we should be able to smoke. If we want to um, be late, we should be able to be late. I mean, that would be great if, if everybody just accepted you for who you are. But unfortunately, the world doesn't work that way. And what you have to understand is when you tell someone you're going to be somewhere on time, that's a promise. You, you should try to keep your promises. Think of it this way. If somebody... If you had lunch with somebody and every day they said, hey, can I borrow a dollar? And you gave them a dollar, but they never paid you back. And they said they would pay you back, but they didn't. And you're thinking, well, it's only a dollar. But after a while, it kind of, that kind of irritation starts building and building and building. And pretty soon you're just angry with this person, even though all you've loaned them is a few dollars. But it's sort of the principle. People feel taken advantage of. They feel like, I really, I cut short my workout to be here on time. I, I was right in the middle of a good book, and I got here on time. You know, why can't you do it? So, so yeah, it would be nice if we could do anything we wanted to. Going back to, um, you know, like the revel and those ideas, what about the flip of that, which is being fashionably late and people feeling perfectly, you know, you know, fine about being fashionably late. You don't late. want to be right on time because I mean, you look too eager. Yeah, being from out, I mean, it's a difference between West Coast and East Coast. West Coast people, at least from my perception, are always, always like, let's be, you know, 10, 15 minutes late because that's what's fashionable. <laughs> I actually have heard that before, that the East Coast people are kind of perplexed by us West Coast people who think it's okay to come to a party a couple hours late. Um, I think that certainly coming to a party 15 minutes late is acceptable out here in 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 the west on the well, west coast. I think I, I think yeah. a party, but a dinner right. is a little bit different. Yeah, because I know with parties, like people, it, parties tend to run at least around here from like nine a.m. to two a.m. and if you nine p.m. to two a.m. and if you get there at some point, then you've gotten there. Right. <laughs> well, it depends on the party. If it's an open party, or yeah. It's a... But one thing I think uh, is a little tip for people, especially students, is. One of the rules of networking, when, when, when people do get out of college and want to start networking, is one, is one of the rules is 
the earlier you get there, the better. Because what happens is you get there early, you start meeting people. You're almost like you're the greeter, and you become sort of the hub of, of the action, and you end up meeting a lot more people, and it's not quite so awkward to break into these little groups that have formed. So, so it's better to come early and leave early than it is to come late and leave late, I guess. Exactly, in, in, in terms of social situations, in, in terms of networking situations. But I think when you're talking about the types of parties that students hold I think it's perfectly normal. But to you don't want to leave late. too early, or else you <laughs> miss the late people. <laughs> <You'll> miss <laughs> and they're Bill Clinton and Farrah Fawcett, <laughs> and you might want to meet them. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, we've run out of time, Diana. Thank you for coming down. It's been great to to have this discussion thank with you. you. May I may I mention my website? Yeah, oh, I'm going to give it to you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give it. Author and and time management expert Diana Delonzer. If you'd like more tips on how to stop being late, go to Diana's website www.neverbelateagain.com. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to take a short break on our second half of the show. A look at Little White Lies and Big Whoppers. Are they worth the trouble? This and more coming up. From the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Welcome to the show. I'm Susan Morris. With me are Jessica and Matt. Hi, Susan. Hi. And joining us on the student side of the table is Adam. Welcome. How's it going? The Good. third student. Hi, Adam. Yes, our third student. Hopefully the third voice of reason. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, with, with me on the other side of the table is Carol and a newcomer to our show. Hi, Susan. Good to have you here. This is a call-in show, so if you, our topic is lies. So if you have a story about lies, maybe about the time you got caught in a big one, give us a call at 650-723-9010. And, of course, you can email us anytime at what would your mother say at kzsu.stanford.edu. You can also check our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. In a recent survey, 91% of Americans polled admitted to lying routinely. They lied to friends, to siblings, to spouses, and to their parents. Research shows that parent-teenager relationships is the virtual magnets for deception. Does this surprise anybody at the table? I'm shocked, nope. Susan. I'm just shocked. <laughs> well, some psychologists... How could that happen? I have no idea. A bunch of hoodlums. Some psycho- psychologists say that college students lie to their mothers in one out of two conversations. So, I also know that parents lie to teenagers. They do. Oh, we need to talk more about this. Well, we can talk about that. Um, all right, I want to go around, and I want the person with the best story of the best lie to come forth. Adam, you look like you have a lie to tell us. I've got a whopper, Susan. And this you told is, it? Yeah, this is this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's a little personal, but I'm going to let it fly. Um, last summer, I was working at a program at, and we don't need to say what university it was. No, but, we um, uh, And actually, one of my colleagues developed a little bit of a crush on me, not to brag or anything, but you know, it was there. And I was. Well, you don't ex- know as a third speaker as a stud. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I don't need to brag or nothing. Audience, we have two studs at the table. That's right. That's right. Does that make me a mare? <laughs> <laughs> In any case. Mags. Oh, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, back to Adam's story. Yes, you, Adam, you were going to yes. tell us about what okay. a stud you were. Right, right, right. right. So, um, man. Okay. so anyway, so she developed a little All bit of a crush, and I was, and I was aware of this, especially when it was um, disclosed to me, and uh, I was extremely nervous for the week. I thought it was going to come up, and so my response to it, instead of, I'm extremely cognizant of like hurting people's feelings, and not in situations like this, but, you know, per sort se, of. but in, in general, I actually um, <clears throat> told her that I was gay. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So and then there was this other hilarious. coworker who was a guy. <laughs> was like, oh on my here. God, we're busy. It was a, it, fortunately, it was a small, small group of us. And um, they were all women, so you were like, it was the, like insurance. No, there was one older guy, but it was. I would say that was. Um, I didn't mean to, you know, throw out the whopper. Did you I, go on to Facebook and uh, switch the preference? Or are you, even on the <laughs> you know, I haven't responded to that actually. So I just I, that, that was that was part of the out. So what was her reaction to this whopper? Oh, she, how did you at, say it too? Was it like, excuse me, I'm gay, or was it like, <laughs> so when I was having sex with my boyfriend? <laughs> well, you know. I... I implied, you know, uh, gotta love that gay sex. (laughs) Yeah, gay sex—that's my favorite. You know, I didn't—I didn't broach the uh, intercourse subject. I thought that that might have been implied. But what I did do was I—I hugged her, um, and I—I showed a lot of affection. um, Sure, and and I said, you know, I'm. 
you know, I, I, I love you dearly and, and that sort of stuff. I just, I, cause I, uh, honestly, you know, I, re- I really did like her a lot, um, but just not like that. And, um, you know, it really wasn't broached after that. So I kind of got I, away with it. But I can imagine some, that it wouldn't be broached. It was yeah. pretty bad karma for me though. Now, say. now that some girl's going to tell you she's gay and then ruin your life. <laughs> well, now all right, imagine that if Adam had said, I've got another girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Or not another girlfriend. I mean, I have a girlfriend. What do you think the reaction would be? Does somebody keep? I'm changing the subject. Well, going back to it depends to a, a little because I've told people that I'm seeing someone when I'm not mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. like. I mean, there are do people they keep I'm pursuing seeing, it though because um, that isn't quite a uh, closing the door well, as much it, as I what like Adam what said. that does because then it takes it to a whole new level because then they know that they can still pursue you, but there is like a hard line about how far they can pursue you. So it's good because then you can be friends with them without feeling that pressure of like Girls knowing. Girls do not play you. games. They really no, don't. They don't. It's they not really a game. <laughs> Girls want to know when you're going to take them out, when they're going to get married. If they find out you're lying, Wait a minute. It's over. This is nothing about me trying to get people to take me out or get ma- or marry me. Like, I don't understand. Adam's life was so permanent. Right. You have to support that. I mean, you know, you could, well, you could see this woman see 10 years from now, well, and then you have to make up another no, he, lie about he he's bisexual. Oh, you're in now. the closet. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to because he can just say simply this. This is what you do. You say, I was raised Catholic. Guys don't play games. And... I was I was ra- I was raised Catholic and therefore you know um, I've been struggling with it ever since and sometimes I act as I've been I've been oh taught and sometimes I don't. Tell so us about a lie that you said, Matt. No, I, I never tell lies. Let me, let me tell you though. <laughs> you just tell other people to tell yeah. lies. Now, what you said reminded me of what I used to tell my daughters. I said we all lie. The problem is that it just leads to one more lie, like what you're saying, um, and and then it's you really can get caught up. And, and all you wanted to do was to deflect the pressure, well, you know? Here, I mean, the thing about lying is it's easier. I do it always when it's easier to lie than tell the truth. And it's one of those things that, I mean, it's so one like, of those. So, like, did you alter those accounting statements, Commissioner <laughs> Kenneth Way? <laughs> like, you would just say, it's well, It's easier you know, than telling the truth. Clearly, and that's your excuse. Sometimes you just don't want to go into the long, like, you know, yeah. and for in your particular case, like the long awkwardness. Or, you know, sometimes people ask questions, like if my dad's talking to me and it's like, you know, some question about anything that, and I don't want to get into the long explanation of it. I mean, oh. how is it going to hurt him to for me to say some random white lie? Just to I would get him simplify off the track? things a lot for my parents. So sometimes I would outright lie, but I would also sometimes I just kind of make the story like more streamlined than it had than it actually occurred, but to right. get the point across, so they're not like, oh, but what about this detail? What about that detail? So you don't even let them have any place to ask for details. Right, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Carolyn, do you have a big whopper to tell us? I think Adams might take the cake today, but we'll try. That's a good one. <laughs> one for one. One well, for no, one. I've been thinking about lies that are, because there are lies that you can tell that are good lies, um, that are one-time lies, that really are just one-time lies. And I'm dead. If Adam had been in Greece, you know, and he knew he was never going back, and he knew she was staying in Greece, and it's okay, right? But if you're going to see her every day, then that's or in a couple of years, yeah. That's um, so strange because I actually did leave in, live in Greece for a year. That's so strange oh. that you'd use that. <laughs> and was that your gay year? Oh, look at her. So much camaraderie. I know, <laughs> I know. We're Carol, supposed to be here. Uh, but yeah. I, I had a friend, and um, it was a long story, but we had a, a falling out, and um, but over something very minor, and I didn't want to have the falling out. And uh, so I called her and left a message and said, hey, I, I know we had made plans, and I don't know if we're going to still keep these plans. It was just after our fight. And um, she called back and, and left a really awful, awful message, really mean, uh, that she hated me, I was the worst person in the world, never wanted to talk to me again. But I could hear the pain underneath the message. So um, I waited a week. I called her back and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. My husband accidentally deleted your message. He didn't hear it, and I never heard it. Um, just still following up. Are we going to go out? I decided I was giving her one more shot and to give her a grace note. And she absolutely took it, and we're still friends to this day and that was you know wow. 10 years did ago you so ever, did you ever tell her that I yeah. never really told her oh no wow. you don't no. want to ever tell anybody no, that no no you just want to Certainly I wanted to radio. give her a face the, the only reason it worked <laughs> is because she thought she had saved face if she knew now she'd still be embarrassed terribly embarrassed the one you know? thing that so her name was no <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that gets me about lying is it I mean I'm I guess I'm the type who will lie because it's easier than telling the truth and I will uh I'll go to great lengths to do it. So one time, um, it was on a Saturday night, and there were a bunch of people in my dorm who wanted to go see a movie. None of them had cars. And I, right when they were talking about the car situation, I had the luck of walking out of my room and into the hallway where they all were. And they were like, oh, Matt, could you please drive us to the movies? 
And I was like, uh, that's not, you know, because I also had to pick them up. I didn't want to see the movie. They'd seen it. I'd already seen it. So I was just like, um, sure, I will. And then, so they go talking and they're chatting, looking for people. And I run into my room. I lock the door. I turn off the lights. And my roommate's there on the computer. And he's like, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, I'm hiding from these people. <laughs> and so I duck down. And I tell him to duck down next to the door because we don't want any anybody knowing we're in here. And they start knocking on the door. And they're like, so they're like we've seen him. Didn't he just walk back into his room? Where is he? We have no idea where he is. And I sat there for 10 minutes until they left. And afterwards, I was like, yes. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, you know, my this car is broken. This isn't college. Oh, yeah. my God. That's just too much effort. <laughs> that's, that's, that's I would just so rather drive But them. I didn't. No, no, you don't want to drive them. It's because you're a mom that you just rather drive them. Like, you've been spending the last, like, what, 10, 15 years of your life just driving driving them everywhere? (laughs) We're we're used to waiting on teenagers. So what's your lie? Oh, God. There are so many. How can I just say? No, I, um, what's what's a good lie? Get back to me, Susan. Well, let's talk about when parents lie to their teenagers. Now, I have an email here. Uh, It's from Nancy. When I was growing up, my father used to tell me great stories about my grandmother, how she grew up in a big old house in Massachusetts and how she was a member of a famous dance company, stuff like that. Now, my aunt has just told me that very little of what my dad told me was true. I don't know what to say to him. It's like the movie Big Fish, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's just terrible. You don't think parents don't do that routinely? They glamorize their life and, and... make it sound better than it was i think it's okay i don't i mean obviously do you think that's okay to, i don't think that's I don't okay think i don't okay. think it's okay I don't either lie to my maybe children. this is a gender thing because i bet matt is, I, are, is I mean, this okay, is a romanticization or? of like the past this isn't like but this, this you know, might have had some impact on how this um this nancy sees herself that i yeah. am the granddaughter of a dancer i am the granddaughter well, of a person who lived in a great house in massachusetts i hope i hope she believed it and i hope she felt horrible when she realized <laughs> it wasn't true because i've i don't like people who do that like i mean it's like it's like the old rich people you know oh my you know i'm something because of what my parents did you're not something because of what your parents did you're yourself but wait a minute that's part of her identity who her family is and like that's an, she's like, basing off of someone else's accomplishments. I hope well, she feels horrible about herself value of, of feeling good because her you know grandmother was somebody important i I actually um I would lie to coworkers or friends before I would lie to my children honestly, and it's not a Pollyanna thing. I don't want to get caught. I would actually be more embarrassed sure. with my children than I would with my peers. I would be so ashamed. Yeah, you can't, lie, can't, to, even, you can't lie to people that close. Yeah. I can't. And then, of course they know. But you can know lie. when you're lying. Yeah. And they don't know. But like, I, and but then I, they find out and it hurts them a lot. Well, I, I'm going to fess up that I recently did lie to my daughter. I'm driving in the car talking on the cell phone. She said, Mom, are you on your cell phone? Are you driving? Oh. And I said, no. No, I'm not driving. <laughs> I've told so many white lies like that. I heard of a great lie though. This was this is fabulous. Okay, I was practicing for some interviews and I was reading this book on on interviews, and um, this person there are these like technical interviews where they're giving you questions and this person had or, this person had no clue what to do. They gave him the technical scenario. He was supposed to come up with like a problem solving framework to solve this thing, and he just had no clue. So what he said was. I'm sorry, I've I've already had this one before, so I I, I don't think it would be fair to the other applicants if I <laughs> if I took this case. Of course, not knowing anything about it, and then he got another one and he did well and got the job. Well see he didn't victimize anyone in that case, you know. I mean there's some lies that He's kind of victimizing people. all the people that are honest in the uh, job interview and try company which is gonna hire him and then realize he can't do anything. That that is not a little white lie. What that's would you a call? huge lie. Yeah, it could it's, be. it's kind of it's like a moderate lie. Like I mean that's a huge lie, well, lying about your grandma. Let's be honest, I mean like going to jobs for a second. I mean, how many of us, I mean, there is lying and there is lying, but when you write a resume, okay, okay, and you walk into the room, I mean, you made that thing sound like you're, you know, the son of Jesus Christ himself. I need to talk, you know, I need to say something about that because I've been preparing resume, resumes and stuff like that. And the people that, like, my friends are like, you're, you're so modest. Like, why didn't you put all these things on there? I'm like, well, okay, I'll tell them everything <laughs> I did. And I tend to understate the things. They're like, you did what? Well, that's With very, who? That's very female. Yeah, to, to it really that, is. You know? I don't no, I think I think going back to like your story about the 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 guy who wanted like a different different scenario or whatever. I, I mean that shows like in a job training if you look at like a lot of consulting interviews and stuff like that. That's a lot of times that's was. like yeah. that's like resourceful. 
I like agree. straight up what he did. Like that's <laughs> resourceful. It's gutsy. It it's. I mean, it's well, what they're looking for. Because you're confronted with something that's hard, and you say, "Ooh, I don't want to do this." Oh, I've already done this. I don't. I mean, this and that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you it can blow up in your resourceful. Well, I mean, resourceful in the I think sense resourceful that resourceful is knowing how to solve the case. Like that's it's resourceful. Just thinking out of the box. Right. Well, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, like shooting the guy and taking his wallet and taking thinking out of the box too. But. Of, of course, it would be better to to be able to answer the question. But if you can't answer the question, your response is going to be something along the lines of, uh, you know, yeah, that's something like that. I mean, that's just. So you would do that. It's your vital instinct. If you thought of it. Well, yes. Yeah, had yes. I thought of it. I mean, it's the philosophy question, you know, why, why not? You know, like the first guy to do that. That's just. Because well, an A. Well, yeah. here's, a, it's an a, here's an email from uh, Becky. I think my best friend lies to me a lot about weird little stuff, stuff that doesn't really matter, but it's hard for me to prove, and I don't know how to confront her. Besides, I don't want to lose her as a friend, but sometimes it burns me up. Any suggestions? It depends on what kind of things, because I lie about what people might call weird little things. Like I'm sometimes I will streamline a story, like if I'm late to bring up a topic from the earlier time, and people say why, and it's like, well, there are five different reasons why you're late. Like maybe there was traffic, and maybe there was this, and maybe there's that, and you just say one thing, even though there are really five. Like I do that, and maybe that's lying about weird little stuff. But I think it just makes it easy. Like I think it's just simpler to, than to have to go into all of it. But we going back to Becky's question though of someone who just lies. A lot. Uh, would that impact you if you had a friend, Adam, who lied sort of? I, th- I think I'm the person doing the lying. <laughs> I think I'm typically that person. I, I don't know. I just have a Good tendency to Good for sharing. Good yeah. for sharing, Adam. Like, is that true or is that a lie? <laughs> oh, the gay thing? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> whether or not your person lies. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was well, trying to be funny. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I have a tendency to you know, uh, exaggerate sometimes with like stories the next morning and stuff like that. You know, with I don't think that's, I don't think that's lying. I think that's being a storyteller. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think there's something I mean, to, why to would that. you let truth bother a good story? Right. I don't no, know. I mean, I'm on the de- other side than that. Really? I, yeah. I mean, truth above everything else. Well, I don't think it's just storytelling. Like it, it's not like a huge damaging lie, but it's not, it's not, well, if I mean, other people were there and they saw it and they experienced it, and then when you hear a friend tell the story that's totally different than what you experienced, okay, well, I think I think we're talking about instances where you were the only one, and uh, and well, in our case, a female <laughs> friend, were the only ones who experienced it. I mean, they're never going to know. Well, I remember doing something with. I don't a know friend. what you're talking about. <laughs> well, no you're gay, right? So, <laughs> well, my, my friend uh, told the story of this incident of this thing that we had done together. And I'm going, it didn't happen that way. But I realized that her version was much more interesting than mine. So I figured, hey, I think I'm going to pick up a few lessons from this. And she probably didn't consider it a lie. She probably actually started buying it as the truth. Right, exactly. I mean, I was going to go back to Becky's friend for a second. I think that some people people lie even when it's just as easy to tell the truth. And I think... It could be for a lot of reasons. And if you do love that person, you'll probably put up with it. If you, if you understand where it's coming from, if it's to save face or to embellish or, you know, whatever kind of neuroses they have in their own lives. And if it sort of helps them get along, I don't know. Um, you might be more willing to accept it than mm-hmm. a newer friend who you have less of an investment in. But you know what I mean? If it was a high school friend or yeah. a college friend that you'd had forever. And I mean, you really have to examine the intent a lot of times yeah. behind well, it. Well, what you know, if they're psychopathic? I mean, they're oh. like, <laughs> that's much different. No, I think a good. My best friend is a psychopath. What do I do? <laughs> a good lie saves face and can give a grace note. Honey, do, does my butt look big in these jeans? No, honey, it looks fantastic. That's not a bad lie. Uh, I lie on my driver's license about my what my weight is because I don't want to look at every time and see it. I don't consider that a lie. But I think a bad lie comes out of self-preservation, self-interest. There's a, there's a big difference between those two things. What I find really interesting is there isn't a big difference between the moms and us on this issue. Like, I expected the moms to be like, I am moral and I never lie. And I don't, I don't know. Well, that, the studies that show that we, we all lie. I think, as you just pointed out, Carolyn, sometimes it's a good thing to lie. I think so. You know, my husband's gotten very good at it. So what have you guys <laughs> lied to your kids about? Don't well, think. just recently about not well, right, about right. the cell phone. Okay. Thing. Honestly, I don't lie. And I think sometimes, actually, it's I get a backlash. I think I tell the truth too much. Like, and I don't want to get too heavy, but my mother died of alcoholism. My my daughter asks, I say, my she died of alcoholism, right? right? I mean, but from a really young age, I don't want to lie. I don't, there are certain things I'm not willing to lie about, even though 
they're unappealing and unattractive, like maybe this person's grandmother. He wanted to embellish the story because it was sad. Well, that's not my interest. I won't. I mean, it just. But I wonder sometimes if it's too heavy. Do you know the truth? If the truth is too heavy, sometimes. Yes, I don't know. I admire that. I think that's yeah, a great absolutely. thing to do. I, I, I mean, there, it is and isn't. There's sometimes where it's just easier to say things that are, you know, if someone passes away in your family, you don't want to go around, you know, confronting whenever someone says, oh, what does this person do in your family? You're like, well, you know, they're actually dead. I mean, a lot of times you'll just feel yeah, like. Because of your mom. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. A lot of times I'll be like, yeah, she works at this company. Because, oh. I mean, like, what's it to them if they know that she's alive or not alive? I mean, it's like, and I don't want to get the. I mean, it's this thing of it's easier to lie than tell the truth because I'm going to have to talk to them about stuff that I don't really care to talk to them about because all of a sudden they'll think that they're entitled to knowing more than they actually are. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come up, we're going to take a short look at body art. How common is it? Coming up next. From the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Welcome to the show. I'm Susan Morris. The topic for the remaining part of our show is body art. Joining me in the studio are Jessica. Hi, Susan. Matt. Hey, Susan. And our third student, Adam. How's it going? It's going very well. And and also with us is a new mother, a new panel member for the show, Carolyn. Hi, Susan. You're the mother of two? Yes. Good. Well, uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, nope, there's not time. <laughs> okay, we're talking about nope, body art. Us. And I learned today that tattooing goes back 5,000 years. In some cultures, tattooing ceremonies for young chiefs were elaborate affairs and part of their ascendance to a leadership role. In the United States, it's been very popular among gang members and prisoners. They say... Um, but you don't have to be a criminal. What is it? Every Everyone in prison has a tattoo. But in recent years, it's become a really cool thing to do for college kids. A survey done by Details Magazine says that nearly a quarter of 18 to 25-year-olds have at least one tattoo. Do you think it's a fad, or do you see it, its popularity continuing, Carolyn? Um I don't know. I remember when it became chic because it used to be sort of trashy. Uh, I was right <laughs> on the uh, cusp of that. I have flirted forever with getting one, but I, I never did. But um, I imagine since it's so accepted, I think it will go on. Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a sexual thing now. I mean, that it's become. But the th- problem is that you're stuck Whoa. with this thing forever, Whoa. Adam. One last word before we say goodbye. I think it's hot. You think? Damn yeah, straight. I think we should talk about this again. <laughs> okay. Well, we will definitely do that. I'm sorry that we have so little time left to talk about this uh, hot, sexy subject. Uh, Jessica, I think I just said hello to all of you, and now I'm going to say goodbye. Jessica, Matt, Adam, goodbye, Susan. Thank Thank you for coming uh, on the show. And Carolyn, it was good to have you here for the first time. That's it for today. Our show was put together with help from Mark Lawrence, Elia Art-Batman, and Barbara Goodridge. Our engineer is Ben Lovett. For the record, the opinions expressed on what would your mother say are not necessarily those of Stanford University or KZSU. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show or if you'd like to be on the panel, check out our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. 